Congress people have not faced much real journalism so far in this campaign. Well, a Biden spokes hole was on with Brett Baer yesterday and did. Has Joe Biden ever used a teleprompter during local interviews or to answer Q&A with supporters? Brett, we are not going to engage. This is this is straight from the Trump campaign. Well, yeah, they're points. using and, it. And what it does and what it does, Brett, is it's trying to distract the American people. I'm just from, they're from, using from it. They the talk pandi- about it every day. Can you what, say yes or no? That's because they talk about it every day, Brett, because they don't have a coherent. Uh, well, you have strategy. an answer. Yes or no, Brett. They talk about it every day because they don't have a coherent argument for why Donald Trump deserves re-election, deserves four more years. We know that he lied to the American people. We know that he has not uh, shown leadership during this crisis, and they are desperate to throw anything they can against the wall to try to distract from that fact. I understand, but you can't answer the question. Brett, I am not going to allow the Trump campaign to funnel their questions through Fox News and get me to respond (laughs) to that. (laughs) (laughs) That was something. And and so are you assuming that because he wouldn't just say, no, he's not doing that, he is, he is reading a teleprompter to answer supposedly off-the-cuff questions Listen, in interviews? I, I could offer my opinion as a half-wit chucklehead, or we could appeal to the great Lon Hee Chen, Dave and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution. Lon Hee, how are you, sir? Uh, fine. Hang on. Let me get my teleprompter set up here. Uh, yes, because so I'm going to ask you some very difficult questions here. What did you make <laughs> of that exchange? What's your reaction to it? You know, I mean, it's, if, if you're going to put a spokesperson on with Brett Baer, by the way, who I think is really fair. I mean, I, absolutely. Of all the different personalities at Fox News, Brett Baer is not the guy who I would call a partisan hack. He's no, we'll, fair. we'll play the clip coming up where he grills uh, Trump's guy and calls him out his lying at one point. So. Yeah, so that, that, that was not the kind of performance that, that I would call a good one. And, you know, <laughs> even if you don't, even if you don't want to answer the question directly, there are better ways to do it than to feign righteous indignation, which is, I, you know, I, it's kind of one of those things out of the old playbook for, for a lot of political spokespeople. But it just doesn't work well when Joe Biden hasn't subjected himself to the same level of media scrutiny. I mean, I, I do think that's true. Biden Absolutely. has not been out there as much. And, and um, so you, you should expect to answer those kinds of questions. And instead of appearing angry and fly off the handle, you know, just try it. If you want to deflect, deflect, but don't deflect it like that. Well, if you didn't see that, it's worth seven minutes of your time to, to dig it up on YouTube or something. Because that the whole interview was like that. And I think it was, you know, we were just talking about Joe Biden has been getting nothing but the softest of softballs in his supposed press conferences. And, man, if they're going to wait till the debate to face live fire, they could end up in a bad situation. Well, that's the danger is that you're not prepared going into that first debate. And, you know, the, the first debate has major consequences because it does set the tone for the next couple of weeks of the campaign. People are going to be watching this debate in particular because Joe Biden you know, there, there is this sort of knock on him that he, he kind of crumbles when he has to go off the cuff or he says things that are a little bit off. Uh, and, you know, Trump could take advantage of that. Now, the flip side of it is that expectations for Biden are so low going into it that basically all he has to do is to show up and, and demonstrate he's capable of breathing. Uh, you know, then, then there's a possibility that he could come out of it looking pretty darn good. So, Debates are all about the expectations game going into it, so it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how the Biden team and the Trump team respectively set set expectations. It strikes me, Lonnie, that in terms of enthusiasm, which is it means everything in terms of turnout, 
um, that the the Trump enthusiasm might the Trump voter enthusiasm might increase a little bit after the debate or might decrease just a little bit after the debate. But if Biden has a bad performance, I can see the air just going right out of that balloon. Am I wrong? No, I mean, I think at this point, this is something that the Biden campaign is probably looking at very seriously, which is how motivated and how mobilized uh, are the basis supporters that are going to go out and vote for Joe Biden. I would imagine that there is some percentage, you know, and, and for Trump, that number is probably somewhere in in the ballpark of the low 30 percent. So let's say about 30 to 35 percent of the electorate is pretty locked in on Trump. And no matter what he does, you know, they're going to vote for him. And, and for Biden, I say probably roughly the same, somewhere around that 30 to 35 percent. And then for Biden, there's probably another, you know, 10 percent or so, let's just say, who are with him because they don't want to be with Trump. And the question is, does a bad performance by Biden put any of those 10 percent that Biden could have won in jeopardy? And I, I, I don't know if we're going to know that until we see the debate performance and, and how bad it is, because it's very hard to tell just how intensely those people are supporting Biden, whether it's because they like Biden or because they don't like Trump. And I suspect it's more the latter. I suspect it's because they don't like Trump. You know, I was thinking about because we've been saying the same thing. The, 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 they're setting such low expectations with Joe Biden. As long as he doesn't come out in a bathrobe and wander off stage, he'll, <laughs> he'll be OK. But is there, you know, is that a double edged sort of thing where there's so much focus on does he have his act together mentally that if he does falter a little bit? I mean, that's the only topic. It seems like I, I can't imagine a policy dispute that's going to make any difference. It's just going to be all does he have his faculties? And if everybody's zeroed in on that and he does misstep, I wonder if Joe's right that the air air just goes out of that pretty quickly. Will the, will the will the media ever start asking him hard questions? Well, I, I think it depends on the outlet that that he goes. I mean, I think there are some in the mainstream media. This is why I think the choice of Chris Wallace as the moderator for the first debate is really pretty brilliant, because Chris Wallace asks tough questions. There's a tendency for people who, who don't really follow it as much to say, yeah, well, he's with Fox News. How hard could he be? Chris Wallace is a legit journalist, and the guy asks really tough questions. And if you look back to how he moderated the third debate, in 2016. I think that was the most most well-moderated debate of the three in 2016. So Joe Biden, sooner or later, is going to have to answer tough questions from real journalists. Now, the problem for the Biden campaign now is they have thus far been putting him, for the most part, on interviews with journalists that are pretty friendly and ask him relatively softball questions. They don't tend to follow up very much. If he says something that sounds a little weird, they don't say, oh, hold on a second, what did you mean by that? Chris Wallace will. And so, you know, either they're going to have to prep Joe Biden and really hit him hard in debate prep, or they're going to have to start sending him out there for some harder interviews. I don't know which they're going to do, but I would not make my maiden voyage uh, the one that you that you have in front of Chris Wallace, because that guy is very, very tough. Lon He uh, Chen of uh, the Hoover Institution, Stanford University, is with us. Uh, Lon He, this is a bit of an essay question, I guess, and I'm going to ask you to editorialize, but uh, you, you're a man who has worked at the the highest levels inside the Beltway with some heavy hitters, but, but you're a man who teaches and, and works on the West Coast. How obsessed with Washington, D.C. is Washington, D.C.? Extremely obsessed. Um, I mean, uh, obsessed almost beyond description, which, by the <laughs> way, I mean, there, there, there was 
there was this whole debate, this not debate, we shouldn't call it a debate, it was just a, a news event around the Bob Woodward book, which I'm sure you guys have talked about yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, this is one of those things where the folks who live within the Beltway and people who live between Washington, D.C. and New York get very worked up about. They think, oh, my goodness, this is going to change the election. This is a game changer. This is a dam breaker. Use whatever stupid analogy you want. <laughs> but for most people out there, you know, most people in, in, in America look at this and they think, well, you know, what have I learned about Donald Trump from this that's new that's going to change my mind about, about Donald Trump? Not a dang thing. And, 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 and that's the reality of this election cycle that's fascinated me so much, guys, is that there is a remarkable amount of stability in terms of where people are when they consider what they think of Donald Trump. I think people have made up their minds about Trump. And if they've made up their minds about Trump, that also means they've probably, for the most part, made up their minds about, about the election. I, I heard the other day from a pollster I was talking to who does a lot of work in Michigan that the percentage of undecided voters in Michigan is down to 6%. Oof. If that's true, that's about half of what it was at this time in 2016. So what that tells me is that people know who they're going to vote for, that all of this is noise, and that the media gets so lathered up about it. People get so, um, you know, they, they get so into it as if it's going to completely change the outcome. And I just don't think it matters a whit. I, I think people know who they yeah. want to vote for. They know what they think of Donald Trump. And, you know, that, that's it. Well, that's one of the guiding principles of this show is not to be obsessed with Beltway gossip, and we appreciate you affirming that choice. Lonnie Chen of the Hoover Institution. Lonnie, thanks so much for the time. We look forward to the next time. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, you too. I thought about asking him, but I didn't want to drag it out any longer. But on that question, uh, some because Washington, D.C. does have its Washington Monument jammed into its Jefferson Memorial so much. That... <laughs> Thank, took me a second, but well, well played. <laughs> um. Uh, I've heard some people with these ideas of moving various departments around the country, like put the you know put the FDA in Denver, yes. put the put the Department of Education in Phoenix, you know, spread it around so people are living in different places and you're hiring from different places and just you know surrounded by more normal people. Right, culturally speaking, you're going to be much more reflective of America. I haven't thought much about that. Uh, to the extent that I have, I think it's a wonderful Obvious idea. Obvious reasons. There may be small logistical problems, but if all of Google is operating from their family rooms, yeah. um, surely we can do I love that there idea. There are reasons you couldn't do it 100 years ago. But how about now? Right. And you can FaceTime with everybody all the time. 100%. I think that'd be a big deal. Ooh, this is kind of breaking news if you're following it at all. Serena lost. She's knocked out at the Open. She'd made it to the semifinals, and she was about to tie the all-time record, really making her maybe the most dominant person in any sport in history. Right. But uh, she got beat again. Uh, makes her a loser in my book. She's 38 years old. She's had a kid. Makes it tough. Playing she's against 38? often like 16-year-olds. She is. She's an amazing human. You slow down at 38, though. There's nothing much you can do about it. Yeah, tell me about it. Um, it is 9-11, the anniversary. Carl Rove explaining that day. I just heard a little of this on Fox and thought it was pretty damn compelling. So we'll uh, play that for you, among other things, on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So, uh, 19 years ago today, 
George W. Bush was sitting in a Sarasota classroom reading to little kids uh, when somebody whispered in his ear, his ear that a, a plane is at the building. Um, I think we all remember that, but I just I just came across this thing, Carl Rove retelling the story. He was there on, you know, kind of a typical presidential PR sort of trip on a regular day in the middle of September, and you're not expecting much to happen. And uh, I heard him recounting this and thought it was damned interesting. So I hope you do, too. Well, first of all, we were we were in a room, an adjacent room uh, called the Staff Hold, and we had uh, we had stolen a television from another classroom and plugged it into the wall. We had a television. We had a couple of special telephones called Stu Secure Phones that that, that are put uh, at every site where the president travels. And when Andy, when the second plane flew in, Andy knew he needed to go tell the president. And I remember watching Andy walk over to the door, separating this room from the the adjacent classroom. And I remember at the time that he stopped at the door, and it seemed like an eternity. It was probably just a second or two. But until years later, I didn't understand what had happened. Andy got to that door and realized he needed to know exactly what he was going to say to the president so that the president wouldn't have any questions. So that because there were cameras and photographers and press and he didn't want to have the president break up the the, the the reading demonstration that was being conducted in that room. He wanted to be able to tell the president in such a way that the president knew exactly what was happening. And so he walked in and said the words, a second plane has hit the World Trade Center, America is under attack. Now the president had a decision to make, which was, should he immediately get up and leave the room or should he wait until the reading, the reading exercise finished? He thought it was a matter of moments before it finished. It actually took several minutes. What a terrible thing to be, to sit there and, and realize that you, you needed to get on but you didn't want to stand up and sort of walk out of the room and and create a sense of panic. So he waited. Um. Yeah. Uh, you'd have so many thoughts going through your head at one time, you wouldn't even know where to go next. Um, Carl Rove goes on with the story. And when he came back into the room, I've known him a long time. We met when I was 22 uh, years old and he was 26. So I've known him a long time. And I can read his moods. And a different person walked into that room that morning. When he came back into that room, his voice was, you know, there was a little bit of anxiety in the room, but he had a voice calm as cold steel and said, we're at war, give me the director of the FBI and give me the vice president. And we jumped on the phones. We got a hold of Director Mueller. We couldn't get Richard, Ch- Richard B. Cheney, vice president of the United States, because he was being rushed down a hallway to a secret entrance to the PIOC, the President's Emergency Operations Center. But there was no, quote, plan. And we sat there, the president said, I need to say something to the country. And so Ari Fleischer, Dan Bartlett, and I were standing with him as he sat at a little table. The furniture in the room was only meant for kindergartners. So he's sitting at the table, and we were talking about what, he, what it is that he wanted to say. And in walked Eddie Morenzo, the head of the Secret Service detail, small guy, really terrific human being. He said in a very quiet, firm voice, Mr. President, we need to get you to Air Force One and airborne as rapidly as possible. They were worried that having his no, he, everybody knew where he was, and they were afraid that somebody was going to fly a plane into the Emma Booker Elementary School in oh. Sarasota, Florida, and kill the president of the United States. That's uh, that's wow. something. Wow. It, I I know the both of us have read the 9/11 Commission report, substantial chunks of it anyway. I don't recall if I finished it, but. It's really a well-written book. I mean, it's it's a page-turner. It is. It's interesting. It, it is excellent, and it highlights the the complexity and our uh, non-readiness to deal with the complexity 
of a rapidly mobilized defense of the homeland. We had uh, military systems and, and law enforcement systems that were essentially uh, completely unprepared for rapid response. The idea of having to scramble fighter jets now ready to fire was like, what the who? Who do we call? What do we do? What? Real warplanes for real war? Why? What? It was really remarkable how comfortable, call it successful if you want, we had become as a safe country. That part about I'd known George Bush since I was 22 and he walked into the room a different man reminds me of, and this is just interesting the way humans react to pressure or whatever, some humans do. Maybe not all of us. I don't know. But um, uh, reading the Robert Carroll books about uh, Lyndon Johnson, people who'd known Lyndon Johnson for years, the day Kennedy was shot, said exactly the same thing. He was standing up against the wall, and you could see him change. And he walked into the room when it had been announced that Kennedy was dead. He was a different human being than I'd ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Wow. That Carl yeah. Rove said almost exactly the same words about Bush. Rising to greatness. Uh, greatness or, thrust upon them, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Or, or just human beings when they realize, okay, this is serious. I got to get my act together. I don't know what happens, but that's... Yeah. It's worth remembering our unity as a country. The great respect paid to firefighters, police officers in the wake of 9-11. The heroic work they did. Um, I would certainly never long for a terrorist attack, but we remembered something in those days that was true, that we're all in this together and we're all Americans. I hope we can re-remember that at some point. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Okay, life hack that's also kind of terrible. Once upon a time, I made this fake email account that I still use. I get free food or dessert from a restaurant every single day. I made this fake email and I found a list of a bunch of restaurants that offered birthday freebies. So I put them all in here and I put my birthday on each website for a different day of the year. So I have 365 days of free food. Tomorrow I have a free meal from Benihana's. I really hope I'm not the only person who is crazy enough to do this. Well worth it. You're not crazy. You're a thief and a liar. <laughs> He's a genius. I'd hang with this kid. He is a thief and a liar. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've, got, I've got both emotions going on. It's clever, but you are taking advantage of people's goodwill, which I'm not a fan of. Yes, indeed. Um. There is a presumption that people will be honest. He has trampled on that presumption for his own gain and made society just a bit uglier. I I suggest that in the style of uh, both The Simpsons and Saw, that he be punished with his own sins. You know, this is... He be strapped down and have ice cream sundaes shoved down his throat (laughs) until he repents. It's your birthday again. Eat this! Right, I um, I know this sounds funny coming out of my mouth, but uh, I, I China's got something going with that social credit score thing, and we're doing that to a certain extent in the United States. Remember all these businesses that are keeping track of uh, how often you use the whole return policy at various stores, and oh, you're one of those people you always return something and try to get another one for free, mm-hmm. and so they don't let you do that when you take it back to REI, whatever. I'm I'm fine with that. 
I don't yeah. want the government spying on me, but I like the idea of some sort of social credit for the way you deal with businesses. I, I get it. Yeah, in China, the problem is it's uh, it's compliance with the vicious communist regime score, really. But there are some social aspects of it that are like, wow, okay, I could vote for that. But but if you ten times in your life have said there was a hair in my salad to get a free meal, yeah, you know, restaurants should know that. Yeah. You know, CVS drugstores had put in facial recognition software so they could recognize when people who regularly steal from them walk in the front door. Um, but it turns out that because they had more theft in uh, minority-heavy neighborhoods, more minorities were being facially recognized, and so civil rights crusaders threatened to bring them to their knees, so they said they'd get rid of the systems. Interesting. Which is uh, absolutely ridiculous. I wasn't going to get off on a social justice warrior, uh, anti-social justice warrior rant. I hadn't intended to, so we'll move on. A couple of things to touch on. Well, that's probably a poor choice of words. Here's a woman thrown out of a uh, Paris museum full of some of the world's most famous nude paintings because her dress was too low cut. Um, They have a dress standard for the museum? Well, she got there and the ticket taker said, oh, no, you can't go in looking like that. I'm about uh, to look at paintings of nude women. Right. And, and, and Teat. frankly, somebody. Ought yes, to, Michael. Somebody, very, very good. <laughs> you know, if somebody's going to paint a pair, they ought to paint hers, uh, as I'm looking at the picture here. But, uh, yes, the irony is absolutely uh, delicious. The uh, director of the museum, having found out about the incident, probably first guffawed and <laughs> said, we deeply regret this. And apologize to the affected person we uh, we contacted. Um, this uh, woman, who's uh, identified only as Jean or Jean, told the BBC the museum provided her with a very sincere apology, but its response on Twitter failed to recognize the sexist and discriminatory nature of the event. There you go. Yeah, yeah. The humble boob, Jack. It's interesting. It's somewhere midway between clearly you can't show that and everybody's got them. There are some municipalities around America that have legalized, they've freed the nipple, as the uh, the movement is uh, calls itself. Speaking of women and sexuality, you tweeted about that new show on Netflix ah, about yes. tiny children doing stripper dances. Yes, the story is called, the, the show rather, is called Cuties. It's a, a movie or a limited run series or something on Netflix. It's about, well, let me start at the beginning. Because I think my my journey might be instructive for you. I became aware of this because various conservative groups were saying this sexualizes children. It is a gift to child molesters and to pedophiles. It's utterly inappropriate. And I thought, wow, really? That's nuts. Let me check it out. Well, I'd read about it, and we talked about it on the air a couple of weeks ago, but I hadn't actually watched the trailer until you tweeted it out. Well, I did. I watched another trailer that Netflix had put out, and I watched it, and it is a story about a young Muslim girl whose family is very conservative. They're they're in America, um, but she wants to dance and be a regular American 11-year-old girl. And I thought, wow, that's actually kind of an interesting study of, of culture clash and family tradition and the rest of it. And yeah, they're in a dance competition, but... I don't know. It, it doesn't look too bad to me. Well, there's probably got to be some uh, some interesting nuance of, like, if you're a regular mainstream Muslim, you're not into that whole Al-Qaeda thinks we're decadent thing. But then you f- 
then you see some decadence and think, okay, what's going on? That's here? pretty decadent, yeah. right? And so I thought, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not quite as conservative as some of the people who are mad about it. Well, then, my friend, I became aware of the other trailer, the highlight package, if you will, of the show that I tweeted out yesterday, which includes 11 year old girls. And, and look, sometimes I play a prude on the radio, but I'm really not. Um, so I'm telling you this seriously 11 year old girls doing Cardi B moves, full on twerking. Full-on simulating intercourse, full-on simulating masturbation Yeah, as they dance. I mean, it's blatant, and they're 11-year-old little girls, prepubescent or just starting to bloom. And it's just, oh, I, I, I couldn't believe it. So are there dance groups that do that to that extent anywhere in the yes. country? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Who's who's sending their kid to that school or or, or allowing that People to happen? People in cities to a large extent. I became aware of this a number of years ago when my kids were in high school and they had these uh, uh high school dance championships or whatever and you would see the 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 kids from places where adulthood comes a little earlier. These are 14 to 18 year old uh, young women. Um, dancing in a way that at a strip club, you'd say, that's a little over the top. Well, I don't want my 16-year-old doing it either. But the whole 11-year-old thing is a whole nother level of weird. Who is that for? The girls don't even know what they're doing. Pedophiles. Well, they know they're imitating some of their, uh, you know, Beyonce, Cardi yeah, B, but they pop don't, music but, but idol. they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what Beyonce's doing. They don't know what the message is that Beyonce's saying. They I don't understand the full weight of the message. I assume no. for an 11-year-old girl, they don't no, know that. No, you wouldn't think so. You'd hope not. But so you're teaching them to do something they don't even know what it is. Yeah. So who's that for? Highly sexualized. Who's that for? Well, either people who think it's okay or pedophiles. Well, who thinks it's Okay. Who thinks, as I tweeted in response to your tweet, I don't know why we don't just talk to each other instead of tweeting with each other. As Four I tweeted, hours a day's enough. tweeted in response to your tweet, how do we have hashtag me too going on at the same time as this? I thought that was a great point. You, you can't, you, people who are discouraging you from having a drink with a coworker of the opposite sex after work because that's just too close yeah. to go in the wrong way down the line. But this is okay. Well, the other weird aspect of it is a lot of the of the folks in that the woke part of the Me Too movement believe a woman ought to be able to wear a thong and see through blouse to work, and no one should react at all sexually. Okay, I get it. Okay, so this is further down that road of you've got something wrong with you if you're having sex thoughts. Right. Period. Right. I can dress or do whatever I want, but if you're thinking sex thoughts, you've got a problem. It's toxic masculinity. Right, exactly. It's something you were taught by your evil father and society. It's out of the strange, the same strange, utterly divorced from reality um, uh, classrooms that we've been talking about. The women's studies at college teach this stuff. You ought to be able to sit on a conference table. And spread your legs. Oh, totally new. Easy. And nobody should react sexually at all. I think this is also somewhat related to the whole Jean Benet young child beauty pageant. Yeah. Sure, which is just culture. a sick it's, subculture. Yeah, yeah. But in answer to your question, there are plenty of people who say, I'll lighten up. They're just dancing. There are a lot of people who well, say Well, there's that. lots of ways to dance. You don't have to stroke your hand across your crotch Ooh. as an 11-year-old girl. Grr. That's really weird. Yeah. There's not a society on Earth at any period in history that wouldn't think that's weird. 
Well, they sex up little boys in Afghanistan. They might think it's okay, but of course, women don't have any rights to be anything or do anything there. It's a lovely society. Yeah. Anyway, it's troubling. It's called Cuties. It's on Netflix. Thousands of people are canceling yeah, their Netflix I, I, subscriptions. There were there were like a half dozen just in the responses on our Twitter feed that said, I canceled today when I found out about this, and they seem to be sincere about that. Oh, yeah, I believe them. I'm I not, believe I can't cancel Netflix because I'm not even through with Ozark season one, and I'm going to do a binge this weekend. Binge for me is like an episode and a half, but yeah. Um, Really, so I can't cancel. I, I have a very strong feelings about this. Yes, but I'm going to have to cancel after I watch it. Well, it's a brave stance. Uh, speaking of dynamic young women, Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos fame, her criminal case is about to kick off. Yes, and, that could be a really, really interesting to follow. Well, there is a rumor out about how she's going to plead. Is it about the rumor of what I can do with a single drop of <laughs> no, blood? No, Elizabeth. It is a different rumor, indeed. Is she going to use that voice, or is she going to use her? real voice which other people say she sounds different i don't know perhaps we can uh, interview elizabeth holmes when we come back we'll Give me ask your finger some... let me stick it no 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 <laughs> you, you, this machine has nothing in it anyway that and hawaiian shirts mean you're a white supremacist and all sorts of good <laughs> oh, stuff uh, hang around would you armstrong and getty The Armstrong and Getty Show. Still need to get to this story. Expert on isolated tribes killed by arrow as he approached one. What what part of isolated do you not get? We're not isolated by accident. We know how to get to the interstate. Leave us alone. (laughs) Right. Yeah, well put. Well put. So, Brett Baer, on special report last night on Fox News, he had uh, the, both the spokeshole for the Biden campaign, one T.J. Ducklow, and, uh, and the spokesguy for the Trump campaign as well, whose name escapes me. It just flitted out of my head. I can't remember. And he got into his shorts, too. And I have no desire to, to be a Beltway wonk anyway. But, oh, yeah, he loosened the Trump guy's teeth. I mean, he went <laughs> after him. Uh, but the, the part with T.J. Ducklow was particularly delightful because he is... So full of himself, so smug, so contemptuous of being asked any difficult questions. Part of it was being on Fox because they have that attitude and, and a lot of their crowd has that attitude of Fox is just a joke. I mean, who takes that seriously? Right. But anybody who conflates Sean Hannity, for instance, with Brett Bear is just a, a jackass. They don't know what they're talking about. So anyway, Brett Bear was uh, he pointed out that. Um, at the time of the travel ban from China, Joe Biden said it was paranoid and xenophobic and he was against it. And the guy hemmed and hawed a little bit and Brett uh, pursued. Let me just clarify. You're saying that Joe Biden was for closing down travel from China when the president did it? Uh, Joe Biden has been clear, and I can send you the fact checks if they're helpful, Brett. Joe Biden has been clear that he was not against that travel ban. But he was for it? Joe Biden has been clear about this, Brett. I, again, I can send I can send you the fact checks if they're helpful. This has been fact checked into oblivion. Okay, I'm just asking you the question. You're saying yes, he was for the China travel ban when the president implemented it, two, 48 hours after receiving that briefing. Uh, the important thing about the travel ban, yes I or know no, that, yes and or and no, I, and TJ? I know. Brett, I know that you all like to cite the travel ban. I know the no, president no, no, no. The president the does. Brand. That's why I'm bringing it up. On, it's, Brett, obviously, on, it's going to be in the debate. Brett, Brett, hold on. 
The important thing to know about the travel ban is that even after the president implemented that travel ban, tens or says that he implemented it, tens of thousands of people came in okay, and out of I'm the country. I'm going to take it that and you're not going to answer that question. You're going to send me some fact Donald, checks. What was okay. Donald Trump doing, Brett? Let's, he, was, he, was, he was ignoring the virus. Let's continue to he fact check. praising China. <laughs> wow. Biden has to come up with an answer for that because he's going to be asking on the debate stage. He's going to say, here's what you said when Trump, uh, you know, instituted the travel ban. This is what you're saying on the campaign trail. They don't square. What's your answer? Right, right. They're going to have to have a response. I was just going to say, hey, keep being contemptuous of anybody even asking that question right until the day before the debate. That's fine. Then we'll see how it goes. Yeah, if I'm a Biden fan, I really hope that they're... They've got a stand-in who is hitting, you know, coming with the follow-ups. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you saw any of his, the Biden's press conference this past Friday. It was his first real press conference. And the questions from CBS and the Washington Post and MSNBC, they were just, they, they were just the softest of softball essays. You've heard the quotes of what Trump said about the military. What kind of person does that? And then Biden gets to go on on what kind of person does that. That's his question in a right. press conference. Wow. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it's just amazing. What are some faults the president has? Yeah, yeah there yeah, you go. That sort of thing. Yeah. Wow. That's just beautiful. Okay. All right. We'll see how it goes on debate night, which is coming up any second now. What's it? When is it? We'll figure that out. We'll tell you in a second. But how did one Miami student get thrown out? Is it a Miami student? No, that's a different person. How did one kid, I think it was Florida, get thrown out of school? Uh, practically by, impossible by going days. to class. Well, I'll tell you how it happened. All right, then. Plus the Elizabeth Holmes update, including a, a hard-hitting interview with the lady herself. Uh, but a quick word from Simply Safe, our beloved sponsor, and, and the folks who are trying to uh, talk to you about the best overall home security system of 2020, according to U.S. News and World Report. It's because it's got the arsenal of sensors and cameras to blanket every room, every window, every door, tailored specifically for your home, but none of the negatives of traditional you know, home alarm systems. Why didn't I do this instead of hiring a fleet of armed ninjas to hang out and stay up all night long? This would have been a lot simpler. It's simply safe. The best overall home security of 2020. About $15 a month, you hook it up yourself. It's not too complicated to use. You're not locked into a long-term contract. Awesome. Simply Safe. Yep. Head to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Get a free HD camera just for being our listeners. You see? You see? You knew it'd be worth it someday. Simply is S-A-I-M-P-L-I. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So they know you're from us. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. What do you want to do first? I know, it's a short story. It's a kid that uh, they're doing the schooling at his school where some days you show up to school and some days you're home and then they rotate to keep the classes small. Mm-hmm. He showed up on the wrong day when you weren't supposed to be there, so he got suspended. <laughs> what? You're going to be spreading the COVID. Oh, for goodness sake. I know. He, he It wasn't a mistake. He was saying we, need, we should be allowed to go to school every day, so oh. he, he intentionally went. And when they told him to go home, I think he just went back to the classroom. So he was an activist. Yeah, yeah. Good for him. You're allowed to walk out for freaking climate change because little Greta Thunberg told you to. <laughs> You're allowed to walk out for any progressive cause on the planet. This kid said, I'm walking in. I want to be schooled. Who is this young man? I, I, I like to cut Since his Janae. <laughs> One of your drones in Sector 5, sir. <laughs> um, wow, good for him. Way to go, sir. Way to go, young man. So the word on Elizabeth Holmes, are you familiar with the Theranos story? You remember that? With the single, with fing- the, the single drop of blood. I will Wait, be able to hey, do... play the door sound, would you, Michael? In she walks. Hey, I'm outside. Hey. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. Hi, thanks for having me on. I I, I love to do this presentation where with a single drop of blood, <laughs> I, don't, I will be that, able to revolutionize no, that's, that's, the that's, blood testing industry. No, injuries. you're on trial for fraud. She has a cartoonishly low voice, which a, a lot of people say is an act because she thought she'd be taken more seriously. This is how I talk. <laughs> I brought with me my wolf Balto. She, it's a, it's a regular down, down, dog. <laughs> it's not a wolf. And uh, and also, she is perpetrator of one of the biggest frauds in fraud history. I mean, it's one of the all time great. Don't sound frauds. like Silicon Valley material. <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts of the story. Yeah, that is what she would tell anybody who said, "Um, I'm looking at the accounting, and this is not good." Or I've looked at the testing data, and it's it's fake. Well, she would say, "Oh, you're not Silicon Valley material." I'm <laughs> off for another round of fundraising. She and her uh, her 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 cohort, Ramesh Sunny Balwani, are going to be tried. At one point, the company was valued at nine billion dollars because we're going to revolutionize the blood testing injury. You're going to revolutionize your jail cell. If they could have done what they claimed they were doing, it would have been a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. If only you'd waited till the vid. Elizabeth, you could have claimed that you could uh, diagnose the vid, or can you? With a single nasal swab. (laughs) They would actually take a drop of blood and put it in an empty box and then say, who wants lunch? Let's go out and grab a quick bite to eat. They'd go to lunch and then take the blood over to the CVS. It's actually amazing. Well, I've got to uh, to get to the the punchline here, the actual root of the story. Uh, Holmes' defense team previously notified the government of intent to, quote, introduce expert evidence relating to a mental disease or defect or any other mental condition of the defense. Bearing on the issue of guilt, they're going to plead uh, wackadoo that she's a crazy person. Yes, which she probably is. She's some sort of crazy. Give me your finger. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. Ow! Ow!